Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, to uh, to your weekly uh, Parsha class, um, at least to my <laughs> weekly Parsha class. I'm so excited to be with you all today. I really am excited today because uh, I, I think we have a really fun one um, in front of us today. I'm, I'm really excited about this material. I've never, I've never, I've never taught it before, and so as is sometimes the case when like new ideas are emerging, they're they're, they're somewhat ragged. And that's fine. I need your help to, to work this out. That's, that's, I think, part of what I get out of this and part of what we do together. So, um, so I want to I I look at a, a, at a particular piece of text with you and just sort of um, try to unpack it. And I think there's a lot of unpacking to do. I'm not sure we'll be able to do it all today. But, um, but I just want to say that um, last week, we talked about... Um, the detail-heavy nature of these 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 um, series of of parshot, starting with last week's truma um, and and continuing with this week's tetzave, um, which are mostly describing two things: the construction of the tabernacle, and then and this week the um, the stitching or the, the the making of the of the priestly garments. And all the details and all the materials they're they're in, very detail heavy. And we, so last week we spent time just talking about why why would the Torah be so giving us the number of hooks and sockets and all this. And the work that we did last week was to take a step back and consider theories of theories that that would explain the phenomenon of these of these parshot of their of their detail heavy nature of their subject matter of their repetitive nature but but without actually going into the details just to step back and think what is all this for and that was and that and that was and I think we did good work last week i want this week though to take a kind of different approach to this sort of torah text this sort of detail heavy torah text and that is that, that this kind of a text invites us, almost demands of us, that, we, that we, we go deep and we read very carefully. And we actually, instead of letting our eyes glaze over or just coming up with you know, theories outside of the text, we actually read this stuff carefully. And, and I do think that one of the lessons of the, of, of, of the, uh, that the Torah has to offer in these parshot is that if you if you if you read carefully, nothing is is ever boring, um, though it might appear to be at first. Um, okay, um, so I'm, we're going to do that. I, I say that, and, and then the truth is, I'm cheating a little bit because the object that we're going to look at today, um, the 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 piece of the of the priestly garment that we're going to zone in on and try to really unpack in just a few lines, is not is a pretty interesting object. I mean. You know, once you're talking about the priestly garments, this one's particularly spectacular, and it is the crown, the the tzitz, the tzitzah zahav, the, the the golden crown that the 
that the priests wore. So that's what we're going to look at today. All right, let us um, in this priestly season bring some kedusha, some holiness into our learning through um, blessing and acknowledgement and intention. Um, just naming this space as a holy space with a blessing. Baruch Okay, here we go. So uh, the, the, the priestly crown, that's what I said we're going to look at today. And the truth is, uh, every, the, the priestly crown is, is, a, is a, an image that has its own idiom. It, it looms large just to speak of the crown of priesthood. One is reminded immediately, oops, um, one is reminded immediately of the, um, the, great fra- the great teaching of the rabbis of the, in, in Pirkei Avot, the collection of their great kind of wisdom sayings. Uh, and there's a very famous teaching in there that speaks of three crowns. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shloshak Tarim Hem. There are three crowns. Keter Torah, the crown of Torah. So, you, you know, it's already poetic because it doesn't mean the crown on the Torah. It means the crown of studying Torah, the crown that comes to one through Torah. And then Keter Kahuna, the crown of priesthood, Keter Malchut, and the crown of royalty, which is the one that actually we associate most with a crown. And the teaching is, but the crown of a good, Keter Shem Tov Ole Al the crown of a good name supersedes them all. Okay, so you've got this idea already of like the priestly crown, the royalty of the priesthood. There's a sense in which you could speak of, of the, the, the glory, the kingship almost, the royalty of the priesthood. Um, but that's a phrase, um, but it's a phrase after all, which plays on the actual crown that is one of the garments that the priest wears. Now, let me just show you a picture of the priest. And, and this is like a cool thing to do because it's so visual. It's such a visual parsha that like it, I, I happen to love these old kind of mostly Christian biblical illustrations because, you know, our tradition's not so into, you know, images and icons. So it's like cool to go back and so many other great artists have done it for us. But, um, but there's so many great images of the priest. And here's just one that I want to share with you just to give you a sense of what we're talking about today. So, oh, that wasn't it. That's not it. Okay. Do you you do not see this this it, this picture of the priest? Oh, you do, you do. Okay, great. I never know because there's like a weird thing where you if you select and then change it. But this is it. This is the. I, there are many great images of the of the high priest, but I chose this one because the thing that we're going to be looking at is right here, and it's pretty it's pretty well drawn. Including, we'll soon talk about the letters that are drawn onto it, which are almost right here. And, um, and this is funny because they're also drawn on this other guy who seems to be the priests, uh, the other priest, but that's actually, I, that doesn't seem right. I, I, as in what we're looking at is the, just the high priest, the high priest. And that's part of our conversation. We're going to be looking at the special garments that the high priest wore. And, in, and you can see there's all kinds of garments, but the, 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 the real flashy stuff is the breastplate here, and then what's called the tzitz, the tzitz here, which has writing on it. And this is the piece that we're gonna be looking at today. Okay, so the tzitz. All right, let's take a look and let me give you a source sheet to look at. And I'm so far, I so far have been calling it the crown, the priestly crown, um, but I just gave you the Hebrew word tzitz, tzitz. It's like a, it's a cool word, tzitz. And, um, and that word, um, well, we'll talk about the meaning of the word, but in terms of translating it, I actually, oh, now I have to go back to the other one. Hold on. Can everybody see the source sheet? Yeah, are we good? Okay. Um, so the word I actually want to use to translate is more tiara, <laughs> you know, even though it's like, you know, that seems so gendered that it feels, but, you know, let's, let's get rid of our gender association, shall we? Isn't that one of the projects of our age? So I th- actually think tiara is, is a bit, you know, sometimes you see a, uh, a diadem, although that's just not a word we use very often. So I didn't, I, I don't want to use that. And then there's, um, there's crown, but it isn't a full crown. As you saw here in the priest, it, it's something that wraps around a turban. It's not a, exactly a full crown. It's a, 
I, I, I trust you're seeing this switching back and forth. I hope that's work. This is working. But um, but here's what it actually is. And and here are the, we're just gonna look at three three verses, three verses. And I just I was just like I was really uh, swallowed up by these verses this week because there is so much in these uh, these verses. And um, let's read them. And then I'm and then I want to talk about what we're gonna do with them. So here's, here's the one of the priestly garments. All of the priestly garments are detailed in this week's Parsha, how exactly to, to make them. And here's the tzitz. You shall make a tiara, a tzitz, of pure gold. Tzitz zahav, tahor, pure gold. And engrave on it a seal with the inscription, Kadosh Lado, Kodesh Ladonai, Kodesh Ladonai, holy to Adonai. And, you know, Safaria has started doing this thing where they're like not translating God's name. You know, I usually translate it as the eternal. Some people translate it as Lord, but I actually kind of, I'm going to experiment with this. And I'm curious if it, I, I want to know what is, what, 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 what works best for you as a, as a reader. It's this untranslatable name. And so yet one of the solutions is just not to translate it. I, it's a little funny, but Maybe we'll work with this for a while. So holy to Adonai, that's the way we pronounce it, but that's, that in itself is, a, is just a, a, a representation, not the, nobody knows how to pronounce this name. But anyway, that's just a note because it started appearing in Safaria this way. So holy to God, holy to the Lord, holy to Adonai. That's what's written on the priestly uh, crown. That's what's here. Kodesh la Shem, Adonai. Kodesh la Adonai, so holy two or holy four, Adonai. Okay, hang it, hang this teal, uh, this, uh, this seats, this tiara on a cord of blue, teal techelet, on a cord of blue, so that it may remain on the turban, the mitznefet. The mitznefet is this, this word here is the turban. And this is tied around the turban and it has to stay there. So you tie it with a, a cord, a particular kind of cord, a cord of blue, a blue string. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron will carry the sin. This is the most confusing part. And Aaron will carry the sin of the holy things, which might just mean the offerings, of the holy things that the Israelites make holy. Basically, these sacred gifts, the offerings, from any of their holy donations. Look at the use of holy, holy, holy there. But basically, um, uh, with respect to these holy things, Aaron will carry the sin. Venasa Aaron et avon. Okay, so that's interesting. And it will be on his forehead at all times. It's like, whoa, okay, yeah, I heard that it was on his forehead. Thanks for emphasizing that. Um, to, to find favor before uh, them, before Adonai. Liratzot lehem lifne Adonai, to find, to make God pleased with them. Okay, that's the verse. You shall make a tiara of pure gold and engrave on it a seal with the inscription, holy to Adonai, Kodesh Adonai, hang on it a cord of blue so that it remain on the turban. It shall remain on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron will carry the sin of the holy things that the Israelites make holy from any of their holy donations. It shall be on his forehead at all times to find favor for them before Adonai. Okay, that's it. Just a few verses. And, you know, like a, a lot of the reading is, it's, it's pretty, it's a little dense. It's details. There's some interesting stuff in there. It's unusual that there's also inscription. And, um, but let me, let's just take stock of some of the details that we've gotten. And then I want to begin to go elsewhere to make associations. And for that, I'll, I'll need your help. Okay, there's a tiara, there's a crown, fine. Well, what, what do we notice about it? First of all, that it has this inscription. That seems important, inscription. Second thing, that there's a cord of blue. It has to be a, a blue cord that ties it around. Okay, that's a, that's a prominent detail. Um, when we think about the, um, oh, uh, and maybe while I'm talking details, it'll be on his forehead, it'll be on his forehead all times, always on his forehead. And then finally, if there's any meaning here, if there's any purpose to it all, we, we, we read that with this, the priest will carry the sin of all of the holy things of the people of Israel. 
the sin. Okay, that's that's sort of what this thing is going to do or associated with. Okay, now um, now I want to begin to open up the conversation a little bit. I already see that my mother has her hand raised. So let me see what my mother has to say. My mother says, "Why does Aaron have that thing? Why why is it on? What, what connection does it have to to sins? Why 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 would that help?" What, what does that have anything to do with sins? Right, exactly, that's exactly right. That's, that's the question, that's the question. Like, it's a piece of, of jewelry, jewelry, and it's nice, and it says for, for God, but what's the connection? How is it gonna do this? It seems like very serious. He's gonna carry the sin with this thing, and that's his job. I mean, in some way, we can begin to talk about that's what the, the, the I'm, I'm saying the sign for priest is like this, you know, but it's not that kind of priest, right? With the, with the thing on his neck. It's more like priest, <laughs> priest with the, with the tzitz, right? But his job is to work with the, the offerings and to negotiate with God the sins of Israel. So in some way, it's exactly the point of the whole, you know, priesthood. But why is this thing connected to it? Okay. All right. So, okay. So good. It's so good. Okay. So let me, I see a lot of hands already and I think I'll stop signing now because there's closed captions, but, um, but thank you to my mother for the question, um, for making it especially stark. Okay. What I want to do today, and then I will begin to open it up, but I, in a directed way, first, I want to, I want, I'm going to center us further into another text, right? So, um, here's what I want to do. I want, you know that I have, if you've come to my classes before, that the, 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 I, I really believe that the Torah has to be studied with the techniques th that we would bring to all, um, to the study of all great literature, because it is a, a, a sublimely great piece of literature and operates, it's told as a story and as a, and as a, and as a piece of writing. And so it, it has a certain craft to it. And therefore, we look at it the way we might look at a poem or a novel or and the best of them, right? The most sophisticated of them is part of the presumption that we bring to our to our interpretive lens in this tradition. So um, one of the primary tools that um, that brings out the kind of the literary activity and character of the Torah is to seek connections. Sometimes in literary theory, this is called um, intertextuality, like the way one text comments on another text. And that's sort of true in the Torah because we're looking at one part of the Torah commenting on another, like Deuteronomy commenting on Genesis. But in as much as we see the Torah as one, one whole, these five books of Moses, it's really intertextuality is what I would call it. The text referring to itself. And that is probably the main method that I use for thinking about the symbolic echoes in a piece of text. And in this text, this three-line text about the uh, about the, the the priestly crown, there are it's an explosion of of symbolic references. That is, I read this text and suddenly I'm reminded of another part of the Torah, and then all of a sudden another part of the Torah, and then another part of the Torah. And they aren't all so obvious, although some of them are. But I want to try to collect as many as we can today, I think there are three, maybe four references that we're seeing in this small piece of text to other parts of the Torah's symbolic architecture. And once we begin to make the connections, I think what we'll do is we'll have a strong sense of what, first of all, this crown is meant to do, but also what the priest is meant to do, right? Like, what is this function? What is this person? That's in some ways the big question. Why do we need a high priest at all? What is this figure doing for us? This figure who will, um, on some basic level, be the head of the group of people that run the temple where they make offerings to God. Okay, that's, that's the simple version. But what else? And we're already seeing hints of it, as my mother pointed out, when we start to think about this, this person as not just delivering offerings or carrying out the rites and wish rituals, but also bearing the sin of the people of Israel. Okay, so let's start, let's start. We're gonna, we're gonna go step by step here. And I think we'll try to go from most obvious to least obvious in terms of connections. And the most obvious here 
I mean, we can already find it in the name seats. Seats should already be reminding you of another great symbol in Jewish life, this word seats. Let's see actually if we can, let's see if we can get a, there's, okay, seats. I'm gonna just click on it. You can do this by the way in Safari, you should know, you can do this and get a, oops, a definition. Everybody see that, definitions? Nod your head if you see the definition. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so seats, the word actually is related to the word for flowering or blooming. And it's the shining thing of gold plate on the high priests. There, there's another, uh, I don't even know, miter, meter, meter, um, another word for crown. But um, okay, this, this is, there's another meaning. They're not sure if that's right. But th this, it is somehow related to sprouting forth. Okay, so the seats is going to sprout forth, right? And I don't really have to say much more. Let, let's let's say, let's do this in the chat, right? I'm sure it's already happening. It's already happening. I'm looking, and well, I see. Ah, sounds like Noah says. Sounds like it's part of talit and tefillin. Yeah, that's right. And do I see? Do I see any anybody naming the actual object yet? Anybody want to name the actual object? Oh, you know what, Ruth Persky. Uh, did she wrote to me, but she wrote in a direct message. Is tzitz related to tzitzit? Tzitzit. Okay. Now, if you don't know these things, then it sounds like I'm just like you know, it, I like Dr. Seuss style. I'm just like throwing out syllables. But that's exactly right. What what Ruth is is saying. And now uh, Matt Matt Silberstein is saying fringes. Mark is saying fringes. That's right. The tzitzit, the fringes that are a famous article of kind of holy clothing that are that we mention in every day in the recitation of the Shema. So let's go look at that because these are the, the word seats is unusual, this little seats, this this crown. And then there's one other word in the Torah that, that sounds like that. It's tzitzit, as if playing on it. So the, the seats and the tzitzit. Okay, so um, the words are clearly related, and what I'm what I'm suggesting is, oh, if they're this related, well, you let's just look at how related they are before I talk any further. Um, all right, let me give you, uh, let me let me take us back to the put back to our source sheet, and uh, and we're gonna take a look at the first. This is our first connection. Okay, so um, there's the seats. Here's the word here in Hebrew. And now here's tzitzit. Adonai said to Moses as follows, speak to the Israelite people and instruct, for, instruct them to make for themselves tzitzit, which some of us were translating, it's most often translated as fringes, like little strings on the corners of their garments throughout the ages. Let them attach a cord of blue to the tzitzit at each corner. Okay, did you catch that? Did you catch that cord of blue? Are, now you're convinced, right? It's not just, it doesn't just sound like it. It's like, oh, that's the exact same thing, that cord of blue. So now like the, the, the reference couldn't be more direct and more obvious. So let them attach a cord of blue to the tzitzit at each corner. The cord of blue doesn't function in the same way, but same exact language. The patil techelet, the cord of blue up here, patil techelet, okay? Okay. Um, that shall be your tzitzit. Look at it and recall all the commandments of Adonai and observe them. That is the primary function of the tzitzit. They're there to remind you of all the commandments of God and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and eyes in your lustful urge. Lustful urge, because the word there is, is um, um, the word that the Torah uses is um, um, that you taturu acharei levavchem, that you, you wander after your hearts, and, and after the things, she'atem zonim achareim, that you literally like, that you kind of, you whore yourself after, I think is, is, is probably like zona, a, a prostitute, a prostitute, right? So um, znut, uh, you know, like explicit kind of lust. Okay, so all of that language is used and I'm emphasizing it to translate it, but also because this may be 
part of the messaging that we want to keep in our minds. What is what are the tzitzit doing? So thus shall you shall be reminded to observe all my commandments and to be holy to your God. To be holy to your God. To be holy to your God. You see that? To be holy to your God. And there's the language. Kedoshim lelohechem. Holy to your God, the way that the priest is kodesh ladonai. Okay. But it's not, I mean, it's not the, exactly the same language there. So I'm not sure, I'm like, I'm not even sure about all the connections I'm making, but there's certainly enough to ask the question, what's the connection? Simple question. What's the connection between the tzitz and the tzitzit here? The, you know, we wear them on the, on our fringes uh, here. I, 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 I left my talit out today so that I could show you that like there, this is the way it looks. These tzitzit on the end of the of the talit. Why is there no blue string? We kind of lost that tradition. Some people do it, some people don't. But this is what we're talking about. So what's this got to do with the priestly crown? Okay, let's begin. Let's start to open our conversation up. Um, Allison. Oh, thank you for picking on me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so really interesting conversation. And I was actually in another Torah study earlier this week with Mili Salem. And she made this observation that I thought was really interesting that like the Kohen Gadol was not going around looking in mirrors, right? So it didn't say like Kodesh Adonai in order for him to remember that he was holy. It's actually like the Israelites would be looking at him. And so it's a reminder to us that, that we are holy actually. Um, and I think that, yeah, Right, and I think that it plays kind of the same role that we wear the tzitzit because they're also almost like tying a string around your finger that you would wear these strings as a reminder that you know, you're holy, you've agreed to these things. Good, good, good. So what Allison is doing is exactly, exactly the sort of like rich work that I want us to be engaged in today because you see the connection that she just drew, which isn't an obvious, it's not clear that that's what the holy to, to Adonai is doing on the, priest, on the priest's forehead. But as Allison says, we're gonna read it. So the priest becomes a reminder to us. That's what the tzitzit are for. The tzitzit are there to remind us to stay away from you know, the, the worst behaviors. So is the priest, but now that's, but that's a new idea. The priest does all kinds of things and the priest carries the sin and the priest atones for the sin, but the priest is also part of the function of the priest. It's like a reminder because I exist, because we even have this, this institution, remember that you should try not to have to get here in the first place, right? And, and the seats is like the, the, little, the little sprouting forth that says, hey, 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 you are holy, be holy, stay holy, don't do these other things. It's a great connection. Okay, let's keep going. Jen Snow. Hi. Um, hi, Jen. My question, hi. My question is. Are you on camera today? I'm, I am. I'm walking around. So. Okay. All yeah. Right. <laughs> um, my question is I'm really interested in the blue and the tchelet. And this might be like a topic for another time. But if that's something that's mentioned so many times in the Torah so specifically, why is it something that we lost? Right. Okay. Good. Good. So there's a distinct feature here the blue thread that. It, I mean, uh, Jen's exactly right that it's very prominent in our, in our, in our, our kind of Jewish psyche because it's there in the Shema. I mean, it's sort of a random thing, a blue thread, but it's there in the Shema. And if you're saying your prayers, you're saying it twice a day. So there it is. It's very prominent, but actually it doesn't appear that often. And actually not that it's in this institution, the tzitzit, and then also in the 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 priestly garments so that blue that extra blue thread like what is that meant to do now we can start to talk about the symbolism of the blue thread in tzitzit which is sometimes meant to evoke the sky um um or to be a particular reminder to stand out in a way that like is this royalty mordechai famously um um wears techelet as well so, but, but, the, the, but the most important thing for our conversation is that there's, there's blue in each of these things. And in this case, we can, what, once we establish this relationship between symbols, 
we can imagine them informing one another, right? So what Allison just did was say that, oh, if the tzitzit are meant to remind us, then maybe the priest is too. What I, what I would like to do with, with Jen's comment is to say, oh, just like the priest, to go the other direction, say just like the priest is like decorated with royal fine colors and, and exquisite, like the vivid nature of the priest's garments, so too we have a streak of that just a streak, right? We Mostly we just put on a, like a, a white talus, but we have like, or a white tzitzit, but we have like a streak of, I, but this is just, again, this is this be, this begins to be like riffing. You the, the establishing the connection is the important part. And then there's not an official answer on what the symbolic connection is, but once we've established that we feel confident about the, the dialogue between the two texts, then we can then we can then we can riff in this way. All right, let's take a couple of more comments on this text, and then I want to begin to bring in um, further texts, uh, more layers of symbolism that I think the Torah is 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 pointing us towards. Well, I, I'm going to go a little out of, of, of the order I was going to go here. Matt suggests that the priest, the priest himself has become a sacred object, right? And Florine wonders, what's going on with all this transference of sin? Who carries sin? Well, all of that imagery might, might remind us of another kind of, another moment in the, in the, in the, the institution of the temple, and the holy objects and the bearers of sin. We might already be thinking about it, but if we weren't yet, I'll just ask us another question, which is what else in the Torah is labeled with the, with the words Kodesh Ladonai or Ladonai, that is to God. This is, this is dedicated, Kodesh, it's dedicated to God. What else in our in our sacred literature is specifically marked as designated for God, actually like in that same way, Ladonai, and I'm seeing it in the chat, it's the goat that goes to God on Yom Kippur, whereas another goat goes Azazel off to the wilderness of Azazel. So let me show you that here. Here's another, I think that this is also a connected text. Let me, let me see if, if you agree with me, so I'm gonna skip down here. Um, the priest, who after all is Aaron, on Yom Kippur places lots upon the two goats. One marked to Adonai, Ladonai, and the other marked to Azazel. Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by Lot to Adonai, which is to offer as a sin offering while the goat designated by Lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before Adonai to make expiation with it and to send it off to the wilderness for Azazel. Now, this is an incredibly bizarre and, 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 and confused, like, uh, um, I don't want to just, it's not just negative. It's just like, it's dizzying in its intricacy and strangeness, this ritual of the two goats. But it's the ritual which we perform on the holiest day of the year that's performed by the high priest. And one of the, these goats is labeled as for God in the way that the priest is labeled for God. And both of the goats are doing a, a thing that seems to be like carrying the sin. The goat that goes to Adonai is carrying literally a sin offering. And then the goat that goes to Azazel sort of famously is the scapegoat that actually carries the burdens of the sin. Two versions of what it means to expiate sin. One, a scapegoat that goes off the cliff and carries our sins. And then this more classic, the offering that Matt says the priest is. The priest is like the goat that goes, the priest is a sacrifice. The priest is, a, is now designated for God. And perhaps then also like the goat carries some of the sins of the people on him, right? Okay, now we're, we're getting somewhere, aren't we? We're getting somewhere. So let's keep, let's keep sort of churning here. Um, Kate Silber, Silverstein. I'm hoping I actually have something to contribute today. I was saying Tietzit, screaming it when you were first asking the question, but I was on mute, of course. 
And I, I'm just remembering when sort of tying into Matt and we're in different rooms actually, that the priest becomes the sacrifice. And I'm thinking that remembering, and I, I can't cite sources like so many of the educated people here can, but that the priest would be held on by a string when it was near the Holy of Holies. And I'm thinking that when the rabbis prostrate on Yom Kippur in many shuls before, you know, we all prostrate or those of us who want to. At B'nai Jeshurun, it was the same way. But it used to be that the rabbis went down and there was always someone with them, one to help them up. But I think it was symbolic of them holding on as the priest was the sacrifice at this holiest of times when we're we're all giving all of our sins and asking for forgiveness. So those were the images that were coming yeah, to me. With uh, yeah, beautiful, Kate. And you know, the truth is, um, we could we could do a lot of this work. You know, if we had a, if we had more time of thinking about the way that the rituals were discussed and constructed, the rituals of Yom Kippur in particular, um, and you know, as as Kate is describing the kind of the cord that pulls back. Um, I'm reminded that the, the goat that's sent off to the wilderness of Azazel is also said to have had a cord tied around it that would change color when the goat, when, when, the, when the act had been done so that people knew that the, that the, that the, the scapegoat had, had, had met its end and that they were XP. So there's something about the like, a lot of the, the, actual, um, the actual mechanisms of like the, of the, of the, of the garments and the way they create these little connections or evoke these little um, these little reminders, uh, we can see that we can see this sort of what we're doing is exactly I think what the rabbis were doing when they began to imagine this ceremony and sketch it out for us in the Mishnah. Okay, um, well, I'm, I'm almost. Never mind. I'm almost. Oh, I'm almost. Um, I'm running close to out of time here. So and I. I, I knew we wouldn't be able to do this all today, but there, there's, there's so much more going on here. And so far we've only been, we looked at tzitzit, we looked at the goat on Yom Kippur, and we're thinking, remember still about all of the symbolism in this crown. What does this crown mean to do? And so far our, our connections have been in the realm of kind of ritual objects or ritual, rituals and ceremonies. And those are great connections to make. But it, as, is, as is often the case in the Torah's symbolic uh, architecture, um, the, there are also references to, um, there are also references to uh, narrative pieces of the Torah that are embedded in the, the rituals or the laws that we get from the Torah. And here, I wanna take us to, to one, um, one narrative in particular that I think, I think feeds right into the conversation that we've been having. Um, and that narrative is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll see if we can, uh, I wanna give us the cue first. The cue is we've already seen it, which is we've seen it repeated already. The cord of blue, the cord of blue, the patil techelet, this cord of blue. And we saw that the priest has a cord of blue. And then we also saw that the tzitzit that we wear um, they also have a cord of blue. Same language, a patil techelet. A patil, that's the word for the cord here, the patil. Now, I love to do this, so you've seen me do this before, but this is like, this is the, this is the magic of the Torah. The patil is language that we get around the priestly garments and the holy garments that come thereafter, that, that like, that's like our tzitzit. But there's only one place in the Torah before all this where we see a patil. There's only one appearance of the patil in the Torah back in the book of Genesis. Anybody know what it is? Let's see if I see people. Let's see. Uh, uh. Seeing some red string stuff. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, Tamar's kids. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, take a look. So here it is. Here's the story. Um, the story, and somebody just mentioned Tamar's kids. Yeah, there it is, Matt Silverstein, Gen Genesis 38. That's great. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the most important chapters in the Torah. Um, it is, it's pivotal because um, it's the story of Judah, the wretched story of Judah, because Judah gets into a complicated situation. 
wanders off to be on his own, marries a nameless woman, has three ch children very quickly, and then um, and then one, the, his, his sons start marrying Tamar, but they start dying off because they're wicked sons. But he blames Tamar and decides not to marry her to his third, it's, there's like a succession, and in Jewish law where the younger brother would have to marry the, the widow, but, the, but Judah blocks the third marriage. That's, so there's a lot, I'm like shoving a lot of narrative at you, but this is the Judah story. And essentially keeps Tamar in a state of perpetual widowhood. So essentially sort of imprisons her in mourning. Never, doesn't, doesn't let her carry on with her life. And she plays sort of like the, 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 the great comeback on him by going out and disguising herself um, uh, as a as a prostitute, when Judah is going whoring, when Judah is going to find a prostitute, Tamar disguised her, herself as. Now I say whoring, and I said it before. I mean, I, there's something a little like, you know, uncivilized about that word, but I I say it pointedly because we have heard it before in the language of the tzitzit. So here's Judah going whoring, and Tamar dresses up dresses up, right? Clothing language, like a prostitute. And this is what we see in that scene. Take a look at this. It's quite striking. Um, so Tamar took off her widow's garb, covering her face with a veil, and wrapping herself up, she sat down at the entrance to Anayim, on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up, and yet she had not been given to him as a wife. So she sees what's going on, that she's going to be relegated to to old maid status forever at, 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 a, at, a, young, at a young maid's age. Um, when Judah saw her, he took her for a harlot. That's the, the Torah's attempt to be polite. Took her for a harlot, took her for a prostitute. He thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. So he turned aside. And by the way, the language of prostitute, exactly the language that we found in Tzitzit, Zonah. So he turned aside to her by the road and he said, here, let me sleep with you. Oh, isn't that nice? For he did not know what, that she was his daughter-in-law. She's disguised. And so he doesn't get that it's his own daughter-in-law, but he's trying to solicit her. What she asked, will you pay for sleeping with me? And he said, I will send a kid from my flock. In other words, I will send a goat. I will send a goat. I will send a goat from my flock. We've already talked about goats. But she said, you must leave a pledge. And this becomes a big, big word in the Judah story an eravon, a pledge, an exchange, something that substitutes, something that holds the place of, something that keeps, keeps the security. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and the staff which you carry. Your seal, your seal, chotamcha, your cord, ufetilecha, and your staff, umatcha. Your seal and your cord and the staff. And this is the only other appearance of the word for cord, but before we get it in the priestly garments. Okay? Now, and if that's not enough, if that's not enough, remember that there was also a seal in the tiara. Same word, chotem, a seal and a cord, a seal and a cord. And then in the Judah story, a seal, oh, wait one sec, a seal, a seal and a cord, a seal and a cord. And what's the one other object that he pledges is a staff, a staff. And who carries a staff? <laughs> I mean, I just have to do this. Who carries a staff? Aaron does. They call it a rod back then, but it's the same language, his staff, right? So, now, now I'm really kind of like, you can see, I'm just like throwing things around, but I'm throwing them around because look, just look, just look. The word cord, like a cord, takes us all the way back to the Judah story, where, in, where we find um, a pledge that is made with a cord and a seal, just like the priest's cord and seal, and a staff, which Aaron also carries, okay? And they are given as a pledge, meaning they are given as a way of saying, I am pledging, I hold this in security. It is a substitute for what I owe you. 
And I'm emphasizing this so strongly because the word becomes extremely important in Judah's life because Judah himself eventually becomes a pledge. And let's just take a look at that really quickly because now, like with that, we really crack the symbolism wide open because when um, uh, uh, ben, uh, Benjamin is taken, or no, sorry, when Shimon is taken and captive in Egypt, and Joseph asked the brothers to bring Benjamin down, and Jacob is nervous to bring Benjamin to a foreign land, lest Benjamin be kidnapped, again, his youngest son, as Joseph once was, Judah steps forth and says, I will be a pledge for him. If anything goes wrong, I will stake my life on it. And here's what he says. He says, Judah said to his father, Israel, send the boy in my care and let us be on our way that we may live and not die, you and we and our children. I myself will be a pledge for him. Anochi ervenu, I will be a pledge for him. And you may hold me responsible if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will have sinned before you forever. Okay. Did I, am I convinced you? Have I convinced you? I mean, I, I we're, remember that we're looking at three lines in the tzitz, just three lines, but we've gotten to tzitzit, that was obvious. We've gotten to this goat, I don't know, were you convinced or not, but it seemed to fit squarely into our understanding of what the priest was about. And now I think the connection between these two stories, the Judah story where uh, where he becomes a kind of a substitute, a kind of a, an exchange himself. He carries carries the weight of the situation upon himself like a kind of a, a like a kind of a, a sin offering. And he says, and if I if it, I don't do this well, it will be a sin. The sin will stay, right? And, and I guess I could also say that in the moment where well, how is the pledge used in the Tamar story? Do you remember that? She is she gets pregnant by Judah's uh, by Judah. And then Judah, in an appalling act of hypocrisy, um, sentences her to death because she's somehow gone off and, you know, and, and, prost and prostituted herself, I ironically, right? Because he's, he's, the, he's the, the one who made that happen. And she brings out the cord and the seal and the staff. And she says, whoever owns these, that's the person who is the father of my child. And Judah immediately says, Judah immediately says, uh, Judah recognizes the seal and the cord and the staff and says, she is more in the right than I. In other words, I acknowledge I was wrong. I was wrong. I have sinned. I have sinned. And that's when Judah becomes the kind of person who can offer himself up, right? So you see all the connections I'm drawing. You see all these layers here. I want to give the uh, one last. I take one last comment and want to give it to Mark, who so 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 gently uh, retreated earlier, um, and and give him the last uh, the last word here today. Thank you. I, I think Rabbi that you definitely connected the you definitely connected the image of and the role of the high priest to being a pledge to God when the high priest performs on behalf of the Hebrews. And the high priest performs all the, the, the rituals. That, that is established. And I think the connection to, to Judah and the Judah story is, is really brilliant. I think there's also a basis to see this story as a reflection of what happened when the great transition happened between the religion of the Hebrews, whose, whose religious activity was contingent on the existence of the temple and the sacrificial system in the temple when that was destroyed, when there was no longer sacrifices and therefore no longer a priesthood. I think what happened was that the symbolism of the blue thread, the symbolism of, symbolism of the tzitz, the symbolism of a band wrapped around the head, as well as the symbolism on, of the arm. All of those symbols were transferred from this imagery in the priesthood in the Torah's time to the individual Jew who was then able to wear a talit, to wear tefillin, 
to engage because the intermediary that the priest was in the priesthood, that intermediary was gone. Love that. And so, Love that. so we, that we received, we received the, the symbolism in a toolkit so that we can, we, can, we can relate to God individually and democratically. And that's what I think helped Judaism develop. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. People. Thank you. So that, that, is, that I think, is, is a perfect place to end this conversation, which is to say that that's right. The very move, and Mark is describing it in a large historical sweep, which is also true, the movement from temple Judaism to personal and ritual Judaism. But in a sense, that move is already happening in the Torah. And that was the first move we made. From the seats of the high priest to the seat that we are now all supposed to wear, there's, a, there's already an opening. And Mark, here, I'll, I'll do it myself. What Mark is saying is that once we had the high priest to affect this, but now we wear this garment. Every morning, we wrap ourselves in this garment, this, you know, and we say, thank you for commanding me to wrap myself in tzitzit. And then we place it on our heads. And this is called an atara, the crown, the crown of this garment, right? One of the blessings we make is, is in the morning is Oter Yisrael Batifara, to bless God who crowns Israel with splendor, right? The first to be crowned with splendor was Aaron, and it meant a lot of things, and it was an intense and, and weighty crown that he carried upon himself. But in a sense, and Mark is saying this so, so pointedly, in a sense, that the message of the, the enduring message of the high priest is that now we're all wearing that crown. We're all wearing that crown, and we all, we all carry certain responsibilities, and we all try to project holiness, right? The, these are, and, and, and it's not simple. <laughs> And, so, and sometimes we're that goat and sometimes we're that goat, right? But we are, we are trying to become the kind of person that is willing to, um, to, to display honestly who they are and what they've done and to make right for it, like Judah did, like Judah did. And then like the high priest did for us and now like we try to do for ourselves. So that is a, that's great work. We, there, there's the one last layer we didn't get to. Take a look at the last couple of texts on your source sheet, but it's uh, great to learn with you all. And uh, really, 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 uh, really fun. Be have, it's just like such a pleasure to have a group. Here, I'll send the short sheet again. That I can talk about the seats with. I mean, like, what a what a wonderful gift that I actually have a community that will show up and talk to me about the seats of all things. So, thank thank you for being here, and uh, I'll see you next week. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 